Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and we've got another great episode lined up for today. Today's guest is an innovative industry leader with over 10 years of service experience and is currently the Director of Services at Acuity Brands. Please welcome to the show, Dre Taylor. Hello, Dre. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Really excited to have you here today, and we're going to get started as we always do and ask you for your take on what you think is the biggest challenge facing the deskless workforce today. Maybe the biggest challenge is being human. Uh, but if, if I go in there for a close second, honestly, I'm going to have to go with communication. It's just this ever-present challenge that we're faced with, uh, with, especially when you talk about those frontline workers, because you, you start to establish this disconnect, so to speak, from your home office or the central base or the people that, that are actually behind the computers doing the things, writing the stuff up versus the people that are in the fields really in the gemba with the customer. So I, I, I got to go with communication. That's, that's my gut on it. All right. Well, I want to go back because you're the first person that's uh, ever suggested that being human is uh, the biggest challenge. So I can't go on <laughs> without asking for some clarification. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, you know, being human, it, it comes with some, some natural challenges and that is, I, I mean, primarily really goes back to this whole concept of communication and how can I take that, that which is in my mind, which makes sense to me. Of course, I understand it. I know what I'm trying to get across. I understand the situation as it is presented in front of me, but now I need to translate it in a way that is going to come out of my mouth or perhaps out of my fingers into a keyboard digital environment. And it needs to convey the same sense, the same aura, the same power, the same look, feel, texture, smell of what is truly happening around us. And, and I've, I've found that you know, just, just this whole being human thing, that, that's this special characteristic that we have is the way to communicate in this more advanced way. And, and it's also a huge struggle for us. Uh, we, we really struggle in communicating. Yeah, I, I actually was uh, trading notes with somebody on LinkedIn this morning, a, a, a former podcast guest, Chris Grubbs, who had uh, actually referenced another podcast that I'm going to listen to. Um, but it was really just about the, the human aspects of change and, around technology and how many of us that would maybe describe ourselves as technologists and have spent a lot of time throughout our careers on the problem-solving aspects of technology, figuring out the right parts and pieces and the right networks and the right devices and the right software and all of that kind of stuff, have maybe at times, and I'll admit, I certainly have at times, lost sight of the, the human side of that. And you know, we, we often wondered why maybe there would be a, a difficult... Uh, experience with adoption, why we were struggling to get the men and women to actually use the technology the way that we expected. And, and we had 
I would say most often probably left out some of the most important human factors from that conversation. And it may be as simple as how well did we communicate what was coming and why it was coming and, and some of the other kind of traditional change management things. Um, I think I've come to learn from this podcast in part is just that we've lost sight of measuring and, and really evaluating the other aspects of uh, change uh, ability, right? Their, their willingness to adopt change and why they might be frustrated and how they fear for some of the things around their job and the vulnerabilities that they feel and stuff like that, which I think is so much of what you're talking about here with the, the human elements of that. So challenging, so challenging, because especially as we see the adoption of the, the digital world, you know, that is certainly one of the mega trends of the last couple decades is the internet, digital, digital this, digital A, B, C, technology is coming at us left and right. And it's changing the way that we interact with our, our workspace, with our customers, with our employees, with our boss, with the company at large. And as we try to roll out some of these new technological innovations, which are fantastic, and we have to adopt them because they're just truly amazing in the way that they can change the way that we operate and provide value to our customers. Well, you know, if, if we do it in a way where we're not able to effectively communicate the, the whys and the hows and the, and the who's and the what's right, it's not going to go as well as, as we might hope it will go. Uh, and, and then the, the, the other challenge is, well, I'm going to over-communicate this thing. And then you start to create this spam bot situation and and how do you start to filter the signal from the noise as as an employee if you start to try to employ some empathy and say okay if, if i'm them and, and i'm out there in the field i've got a customer in front of me i've got emails that are coming in that you know are, are on the back burner right now because i'm focused on you mr and mrs customer how can i take care of this particular issue i need to maintenance this thing i need to solve a problem whatever that is and then i'm going to come back to 30, 50, 100 emails at, at the hotel at the end of the night, or maybe at the office, checking back at the end of the day, I, I've, I've got to be able to filter through that somehow, some way. So certainly a challenge. I think what you just said is one of the biggest contrasts between, you know, deskless workers working out on the front lines and the rest of us who have more traditional kind of office roles, even if we, we may be working from home right now in certain cases, but we still have really a job that is more of a traditional office job that so much of our job is around email. Like we spend a lot of time in our inbox. We may groan about it and post things on LinkedIn about how frustrating it is or brag about inbox zero or whatever. But the truth is we still do spend a lot of our time around email. That is a primary interaction for us all throughout the day where the men and women on the front line, like email for them is the exception case. And because exactly as you said, they are out in front of the customer, they're out doing the job that men and women on the front lines are doing. And so email is not uh, a primary interaction point for them. In many cases, I'm sure there are exceptions to this, but in many cases, that, the, that is not the primary thing that they're doing throughout the day. And so to use that as a communication method means that we're probably not getting through to all of them. And it's probably not as effective as it might be for some other worker profiles. Oh, so true. So true. Yeah. And, and it's, of course, I'm in a position now where if I wanted to, I could just play in my email inbox all day. I, I yes. get enough. There's no shortage of emails coming in. I can send more out. I can read more. Um, but that's just not the way that the, the frontline 
workers are designed to operate and, and they shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way. Right. right. I don't think anyone wants to advocate for it. You should spend more time in your inbox. That no. would be, you know, that's really going to drive a lot more innovation and value here for us. Right. It probably shouldn't for us either. <laughs> it's true. For the rest there of us. Indeed. Yeah. And, and, and so th- there comes the rub is like, how, how do I effectively with um, you know, many of us have a distributed workforce so you may have people that are scattered all throughout, at least that's, that's been uh, my experience. Yeah. And if you have this distributed workforce where you're really focused on being at the customer site and engaged with customers on the front lines, how, how do you effectively communicate some of these significant changes and, and work through these paradigm shifts and, and do that effective change management that is going to help you yield the success that you know, everyone is emailing about on the back end. Yeah. Okay. I you mentioned something before that I really want to dig into. You you mentioned a word, and I'm I'm going to ask you. We're we're not going to talk about it now because I want to give the audience a, a little bit of your background before we get into this. But you mentioned a word, and you said it very quickly, Gemba. I want to be able to come back and explain to the audience what that means. I've heard the expression before, um, but I'd like to hear your take on it. So let's pause that for a minute, though. And before we get into that, let's tell the audience a little bit about you, where you came from, how you ended up in the role that you're in today. Tell us about some of the uh, the important milestones throughout your uh, career journey. Yeah. Or personal absolutely. journey, I should say. Sure. Uh, I mean, I am nobody special. I just had a particular inclination to uh, want to open things up, you know, just really deconstruct them and go, huh, look at these. There's a spring in this. Who would have thought that there was a spring in this thing? And then, you know, get yelled at for destroying the remote or whatever it is. Right. So I had that kind of technical curiosity uh, growing up as, as a kid and, you know, still as an adult, I suppose. And I, I was able to have a, a few different jobs that culminated in uh, to, to where I am now. A couple of the fun ones are I, I've been a, um, a producer and engineer for recording studio. That was really fun. Uh, we got to take apart some of the boards and we got to, you know, desolder some areas and solder this and solder so we could change the configuration of the, the control board. That would explain uh, since, your better than average audio quality on today's podcast. Hey, look at me. <laughs> better than average. All right. I started off with nothing special. Now I'm better than average, right? That's, you set the bar low and working and up from be there. Pleasantly surprised. I love it's it. Fantastic. <laughs> um, you know, I also got to work for uh, Jaguar Land Rover as, as a technician there uh, and, and tearing cars apart and rewiring things. And uh, that was a, a really big learning experience for me. I spent many years at Circuit City installing car audio back in the Circuit City days. I, I hope there's some you know, people that remember that big red building out there from back yeah. in the day. Uh, but ultimately, I landed at Acuity Brands some 10, 11 years ago. And with Acuity Brands, I, I started off as you know frontline worker. I was out there in the field, in the Gemba, so to speak. All right, good tie-in. Right? But um, yeah, I did a lot of work for indoor and outdoor control systems and uh, was responsible for going out there to ensure that those things worked. Right? We needed to ensure that the lighting of the, of the space, whether it's indoor or outdoor, met the design sequence of operations. So we'd have a you know, drawing in front of us, we'd have sequence of operations, 
you know, the light needs to be automatically on when someone walks in, or it needs to dim down to 50% after so much vacancy time, or it needs to be able to detect certain natural light that's coming in through these windows here and then dim and adjust accordingly, right? So we can create a comfortable environment, an environment where people can do work on their desk or where they can operate forklifts and an environment that's gonna be, um, able to efficiently optimize the power usage, right? So we want to utilize less power. And then I just kind of worked my way up to where I'm now head field service boy, and I'm responsible for the, the field service, the tech support, and the warranty service team at Acuity now. That's awesome. Well, yeah. let's, so you touched on Gamba now, and I'm glad you did. Um, help our audience understand what that means, where it comes from, and um, why you're using it. So Acuity is a manufacturing company and has roots in lean manufacturing, which originated from Toyota. And there are processes that are relating back to that lean manufacturing protocol or um, way of doing business. And, and one, one of these is going to the Gemba. And that's, that's what we call it. And Gemma really essentially means going out into the field. Where's the real work done? If we're trying to learn more about frontline workers, that means someone needs to hop in the car or hop in a plane and go join someone for that particular visit, whatever that might be, a maintenance or a fix or, or some kind of customer training, whatever that might be. But you need to be there in the, you can't just hear about it. You can't just call them up and say, how did that go? No, you need to experience it. You need to truly have that understanding of what is going on out there. And with that firsthand account, that firsthand experience, then you can make a more educated understanding, educated decision on what are the things that we can do to move things in, in a better direction in the future. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And I, I love, so I've always said, I've been involved in mobile technology for most of my career. And I've always said, you can't build mobile technology solutions from a conference room. You have to go out. And um, I didn't have the term Gemba <laughs> to, to use. I didn't know it at the time, but I've always believed strongly that we do ourselves and more importantly, the men and women on the front lines, a huge disservice when we're trying to build out solutions, when we haven't put ourselves in into a day in their life to the extent that it's possible, Right. And to get out there and see the environment in which they are working, the tools that they're working, the machines that they're working around, um, all of those things really contribute or should be contributing to a proper solution design. So we can talk about all the communication plans and uh, designing for better user experience and all that kind of stuff. But if we aren't doing the discovery process right from the onset, then none of those other things are going to fall into place. Like we, we can't communicate well enough about poor system design. Oh, that's you, you, you've nailed it right on the head. Yeah. And, and I, I think about the, the software cycle and it usually starts with this thing called discovery, mm -hmm. right? So you might hear some software folks talking about this and they're, they're trying to learn things. Okay. Mm -hmm. Help me understand what is it that you want me to build for you. And a part of that in my mind, something that is really essential is that Gemba experience. Who's using the software? Have you sat with them to help them, you know, to, to, to just watch them do their job for a day, for a week, for a month, for, you know, depending on the complexity. And with that understanding, I mean, that's the true discovery is, oh, okay, wow, that these are the challenges that they're experiencing. I, I, I can't just have it through a memo. 
I really need to understand it so I can implement it in a way that makes sense for that true user of that software experience. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So let's let's talk about digital transformation initiatives as they relate to the men and women on the front lines. You've had a very interesting experience, which I, I love when our guests have really, um, their journey has passed through roles that are similar or identical to the ones that they're supporting today. And it sounds like your yeah. path at Acuity has been through that path. So when Definitely. you think about the digital transformation initiatives that you've been a part of and just your leadership uh, to the men and women on the front lines, how has your experience shaped the way that you think about your job today? You know, <laughs> I, I hate to pull back on that communication thread, but I think that mm -hmm. is one of the biggest things that, that, we end up missing as a leadership team. It's one of the easiest to overlook because we get, we get so tied in what we're doing behind our emails, right? We're sending all these emails and we're creating master plans and it's fantastic. And the world is just going to be this bigger, better place because of it. But there, there's that disconnect of, are, are we really connecting the why of what we're doing? Ah, this is why to our frontline associates. And when it comes to that kind of significant change, especially when you're trying to digitize something, because I, when I was in the field, I mean, we were still handwriting field service reports. There's, yeah. I'm sure people out there listening to this right now thinking, oh, yeah, we still do some handwritten stuff. That's still out there. And just to try to get over the hump of, hey, you know what, instead of writing it down and then finding a scanner or we had mobile scanners even back in the day there was this little tube thing and you could feed the paper through it and it would go through the other side and then you go bing and you get a little email on your phone you're like yeah hell yeah now i've got this document scanned in right we used to have those and we carry it in our backpack if we we're getting on a plane anyways right That's i mean awesome. it's we used to go through so much effort just to get a job closed out and of course we want to deploy this software to make it easier and better and simpler and when you're going through those kinds of significant changes some people are used to writing it down and need to really have a connection with the the, the whys and the what's to get over that hump and if you don't have that clear communication it's, it's going to be a, a hard road. Yeah. Well, even when, when you communicate the whys and, and even with your perspective of having been in, you know, very similar shoes to some of the stakeholders that you're, you know, working with today, do, do you feel that there's any pushback, you know, maybe the, what you believe to be the why for them, why they should embrace this? Um, maybe they don't really agree. Do you ever get any pushback on that? Hell yeah. Of course there's pushback. Yeah. We, we, we're used to doing what we use, what we're used to doing. Yeah. I want to do what I'm familiar with. I want to do what I'm comfortable with. That's part of that human condition thing. You know, we're, it's just ingrained. We're going to do that, which is familiar to us. And you know what, what's familiar to me having this tube that's in my backpack that I'm going to break out after a job and I'm going to turn it on and I'm going to link it up with Bluetooth and I'm going to feed the paper through and it's going to write, that's what I'm comfortable with. And so then what we have to do as leaders is we have to stop talking and, and we have to utilize the, the two ears, one mouth idea, and we have to start listening and we have to start active 
well, maybe active is not the right word, but um, truly listening, Mm -hmm. really listening to understand because there's something, there's some kind of feeling, need. uh, uh, There's something that's being communicated back to you in that message of, yeah, but you know, I can do it just as quick with, with using my tube technique, I can get a paper out just as fast, right? There's, there's something there that you need to uncover and, and you need to understand what is it that you want to achieve with the tube, right? Like help me understand a little bit more. So asking those open-ended questions, actually asking, you know, we're talking about the why, but something that I employ a lot in my own language, my own conversations is I rarely use the word why when, when I'm speaking with someone. I might try to tell, here is the why behind it. Okay, that's that's pretty benign. But of if course I, I want to say, of course, I want to ask you why, why that is. Yeah. <laughs> why? Why, Dre? <laughs> why, right? why don't you use why? I, I don't use why because it's it triggers defenses like without even thinking. Justin, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. Oh, it puts oh, me wow. back on my heels. Yeah, it puts you back on your heels. Like I have oh, to defend. Now my all position. of a sudden, you're not searching for the true reason. You're searching for defense. Right. Ooh, I need. I need to figure out what is my play here. How am I posturing? I need. Ah, uh, I got. So how am I going to save face? How am I going to look good? What I try to do is I try to. I, I think about it, and, and of course, I still think of the question. I'm like, why the hell did you do that? Right. But I don't say that. What I do is I, I think that, and then I go, hmm, how can I reframe this question? What drove you to make that decision? Now I'm not, now it's not about you. It's about what are these other factors that are in play here that helped you come to the conclusion that that action you took was the right action, which is really what we want to do. It's, it's I don't want to comment this from a, a head-to-head scenario. I want to, hey, let's take a look at this together and analyze the situation. And it's not you as a person and a human that is the problem that's going on here. I want to understand all the situations and the factors around it because it's the situation that we're truly trying to understand and analyze here. Then together we can come up with the situation of the future that results in something better. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm being reminded of another post, which is making me realize I may be on LinkedIn too much, but uh, a, a dear friend of ours and uh, somebody who's helped us a lot with messaging at Skillful, a guy named Zach Messler, we, there were a few posts that he did this week talking about the word we. And the first post he was talking about is about marketers being very, uh, he was advising marketers to be careful about the use we, uh, the use of the word we, because many times it will be read as we, as in us, like we're talking about us, Right we do this, we do that, we do this other thing. And the conversation unfolded over a period of a couple of days on LinkedIn to where we began chatting about, well, we also means us working side by side. It's us together, right? And it it made me think about, so in that context, we were talking mostly about marketing and the messaging on the website and stuff like that, right? That's the nature of that conversation. But it made me think about how we communicate with the men and women on the front lines when we're having these types of conversations. And have we ever said we, and they thought us mm-hmm. <laughs> and not them also, right? right? So when we say things like we need to make this change, 
what we may be meaning is we all need to make this change and here's why, and here's the benefits to all of us, but they may be perceiving that as just us, the other, po- the other people, <laughs> the opposition, right? Yeah. So I just had this, you know, over the last 24 hours, I've had this epiphany about the, the word we, as simple as it is, it could be misinterpreted. And I, I feel like that's another version of kind of what you're talking about. It, it could, like words matter. We talk about this on the show all the time. Words matter. How we communicate to, to those folks um, really matters when we have to consider the things that they are feeling. It's not just about what we're trying to get done, but it's about what we're trying to get done in the context of how they feel about it. And that is so important for us to be successful with this kind of change. And, and like you said before, humans, like we're all kind of stubborn. We're set in our ways to different, differing degrees, but, um, you know, inertia plays in with the human mind, right? We kind of want to keep going at the thing that we're doing right now. Even if the new thing is better, there's some, there's some difficult, uh, you know, friction between where we're at and, and where we may need to be. Yes. Yes. Uh, so much there. And, and one thing that I just want to throw out is I love the, the, the nuance of, of we, and, yeah. and actually do, having the thought exercise of here, here we go. We're sending out our emails, right? Yeah. Send out my email. I'm, I'm sending it to, to all my field service engineers. We need to blah, 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 blah. Or we decided to blah, blah, blah. And we did that. Is we us people with right. the soft office hands, right? Right. I've got these soft office hands now. It's it's ridiculous. Yes. Or do they receive this message and think we globally, like, hey, we as a business, we're included in this. We're part we're, of this. We're there. And you can listen for cues to help you decipher and tease out where you are on the spectrum. If, if you hear things like, Hey, management said blah blah blah. Right, right. That's a cue for you that there's a disconnect. There's a perceived disconnect between us on the field and then management, right? right. Which you want to you want to bridge that together. Like, hey, we are we are one team, and that's that's challenging. And and the other the other aspect of the we thing you mentioned that can be perceived in multiple ways. There's something I learned just within the past couple of years. And when I, when I think about it, it just seems so boringly simple, but yet it was so profound for me, which is we're speaking English together, right? And we have, there's, I got a dictionary and some of these, but there's a dictionary like right there. I think I can see it. It's the big red one. Bam! It's yeah. like a old school. I don't know if anyone knows what a dictionary is, but it's got yeah. words in it. Some of us remember. them, right? <laughs> so we each, we think, we, we walk around assuming that we carry this common dictionary, this common understanding of what words mean, yet we don't. We carry into every word our own emotions, our own biases, our own experiences, our own use, how we've used it, how others have used it, which means that the, the simple word of we could be taken in this way where, oh, we, I'm, I'm not included in we. Whereas you know, by the letter of the law, by you know, Merriam-Webster, they say, yes, yes, you are in we, but that's not how it's been perceived by those emotions and, and feelings and, and 
preconceived ideas of what that means because of how they've used it and seen it used. So when we're communicating and, and we're, we're, we're thinking and it's very clear in our mind and we're choosing which words to come out of our mouth or out of the keyboard, it is important not only to think in your own dictionary, but to try to utilize empathy to your, your best extent possible to understand how would they actually receive these words? And is there a way that I can rephrase it, reword, retool this to, to land better? Because what I want to do is I want to communicate this idea, which actually isn't words. It's this, it's an idea. It's, it's not words. It's an idea. It's beyond words. But now I'm trying to encapsulate it in words somehow and, and utilizing the dictionary of the other person, of the receiver of the message is so vitally important, especially as we think about these technological innovations. Again, bringing them forward and, and trying to, hey, we've got this new AI tool, which they're awesome, by the way. And we think that you can utilize this. Well, how do I land that message to the team to where we can best utilize it? Yeah. You, you have... So I agree. I, I love the, your your perspective on this. And, and what I'm thinking about as I'm listening to you talk here is um, we've, been, we've interviewed a lot of change management professionals on this podcast. And I'm looking at your background. And unless your LinkedIn profile is uh, way out of whack, I'm not seeing any formal training from a change management perspective. Yet, it sounds like you as a professional and maybe you as an organization are very sensitive to having some uh very deliberate thoughts around change management. Am I wrongly picking up on that? Is, is this something you guys talk about in, in your organization and, and you as a professional? It's, it's, um, you're right that, that I don't know what I'm talking about. So no, that's not that what I said. Actually, true. I'm saying, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying actually the opposite. So I'm not going to let you trap me on that. <laughs> I'm saying I didn't see any formal education, but quite the opposite. You actually sound very versed on this. And a lot of the terminology that you're using is kind of throwing me off because it sounds very similar to what a lot of folks with formal change management training have, have expressed on the show. And so I'm, I'm just kind of curious about where, yeah. where you learned that, what you've learned. Well, I think one of the things that I've learned is that a lot of the skills that are very valuable in the workplace are also just skills available and valuable in life. And I've just learned that there's more of this driving together than there is apart. There's this convergence rather than this separation that is happening over time as, as I try to get better at, at living life. And one of the things that we've done, and like as we've recognized that, we've we've worked towards bringing certain, you know, people call them soft skills, uh, training into our our teams, and that this in, includes, and to some extent, especially for our frontline, we we don't want them to miss out on this, right? And and so we've had listening training, like we we've had three day trainings in person. Get your butt over here on just listening. And we found, and it's really interesting because I, I talked to people and I was excited about this because I'm bringing it on. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is going to be awesome. We're going to be learning how to listen. It's going to be fantastic. And, but I'm just a, a nerd, a geek, and, and a total outlier on the, the subject of listening. And so I talked to a couple of, of our field service folks and, and they're like, ah, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm not, <laughs> too excited about this, but I guess it's, you know, free food and I'm going to be able to hang out with some people. So, okay. 
That's the what's it's in like, it for me. I was going to get free lunch that day from a buffet. That's right. Okay. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I'll I felt, it. I was like, oh, the whiff of here is, is totally understood that everyone yeah. wants to come here. No, mm-hmm. not so much. Had no interest. But, but at the end of that, that was the connection that we were making with the team was, oh, wow. This isn't just a, how do I you know, take the business 10X and do the net? That, that's not what this training was. This training was just, how do we relate to each other as humans and how can we employ listening in a way that that helps you get your messages across helps you establish connections with other people helps you understand where others are coming from and you know the, the number one response or feedback that we were getting was wow not not only is this so valuable for my everyday interactions with my customers when i'm listening to them describe the challenge that they were having with their system so i can go ahead and fix it correctly but it also is going to help me with my wife and kids and i really appreciate that it's like man that's that's so fantastic now i got to get better at the marketing and getting people excited to do it but I think that's where some of that comes from is that we've, we've been able to establish a culture that recognizing that recognizes the, the interplay, the, the exchange of humans is, is so critical, uh, whether it's, it's listening or even just being able to do a presentation, conflict management, like some of those basic things I'm going to say are, are so critical and, and change management, if anything, is, is just psychology. You know, how, yes. how do we really understand how people are operating today and what those motivations and incentives are to help them, encourage them to operate the way of the future? Yeah. You know, I love the, the point you're making about some of the soft skills that we might develop maybe with the primary motivation being to, uh, for, you know, for professional development to improve our communication skills at work and things like that are so very transferable into our personal lives. And, and I can tell you this podcast has had a similar effect on me. I have now interviewed probably something along the lines of 40 or 50 people with, um, deep backgrounds in psychology and organizational change management. And, um, I, I have, adopted some of the processes that we've talked about on the show in my life, how I communicate with my wife and how I communicate with my son and, and maybe just pausing briefly before I open up my mouth and say something stupid, uh, which I still do probably more often than I should, but to, to pause and just say, Hey, how is this going to be received? And maybe there's a different angle I can take on this conversation. Much yeah. like you were saying before, what's, what's funny about what you're saying though, is that if you'd told me when we were thinking about starting this podcast that I would uh, you know, do things that would benefit my professional life. Oh, and all of some of these skills would be transferable to home. I would have dismissed it. And I, I don't think right. I would have, I wouldn't have taken that with a, a lot of credibility. Uh, and I wonder if some of the men and women in the organizations, when they hear what you're saying, same way, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, I'm, I'm going to do this because I have to have to check the box. HR said I had to, I'm going to get a free lunch. Sometimes I feel like maybe another thing about being human is no matter how much somebody else tells us, we have to have some of these experiences on our own and kind of come to some conclusions on our own before we can fully adopt them as ours. Do you ever find, I mean, I I think that's kind of what you were saying before about some of the folks that you were talking about with the soft skills training, like you you could have twisted their arm and they they would never have said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait to have the soft skills training so I can go home and change my family life. That's maybe something that can only be felt through experience. And then we take it back home later. You know, that's, I, I think there's so much truth to, to that. There's, we've got to burn our hand on the stove. 
Yeah. To, to a certain extent, right? It's, it's us as leaders that are charged with minimizing the impact of the burns, right? And, and maximizing the effect of the learning from putting your hand on the stove. Hey, that, that's, those, that's hot. Yeah. Don't, I would not put your hand on that. Don't do it. But, but you know what? We're going we're yep. to have to feel that a little bit for ourselves. And so how do, we, how do we create an environment as leaders that allows someone to do that? because we are human and, and recognize that, that no one is perfect and, and really create that environment that you feel safe to go out there and act because that's what we want people to do anyways, because that's what changes the world. Uh, but then minimize the downside. How do we set up an environment to minimize the downside of that and then maximize the learning because it's the learning from those events, those situations that is truly the benefit. I mean, you, you go out there and, and you fail Well, you get back up and you, you try again, right? Well, why would I try again if I have no learning from that? I'm, I'm going to do the same thing. No, you, you go out there, you fail, you get knocked down, you try again because, ah, I know that at a minimum, this way doesn't work. Right. I should try something different, right? So how do we right. maximize those learnings to not only this didn't work, but did you notice that when you did this thing, that these three other deals happen. And oh, there, there might be something to catch on to there, right? So, hey, you kind of knock down a few dominoes over here, but there's these that are still left standing. I think we can go attack that. So that's what I try to do, uh, you know, with, with the team here every day. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I, I We're already running short on time and there's absolutely something that I need to ask you um, because of your background as, as a leader in a field service organization. I, I really want to get your perspective on this to, to share with the audience. I'm totally shifting gears here. How do you measure it. the effectiveness? How do you assess the effectiveness of change and utilization? So when you've rolled out new technology, you've rolled out new processes to the men and women in your organization on the front lines, how are you measuring the effectiveness of that? Are you measuring it? Well, maybe I should start with asking the question, are you measuring it well? And if so, what are you doing to do that? Because I, I think as we've, we've talked on the show a lot that the measurement piece is lacking or misunderstood or not focused on. And I really want to spend a little time understanding your perspective on that. So anytime we're looking at process, especially if we're trying to establish new process, Inevitably, I'm, I'm going to ask the question, uh, how do we provide evidence that it's happening? I want the evidence. We, we said that there's, we're going to do this new thing. Show me. How do I know that indeed we're doing it? Because I, I'm maybe a little cynical and I'm going to assume until I'm proven otherwise, we're not. Because I, I understand that we're going to do what we're used to doing. We're gonna continue doing the same thing that we've been doing until there's some catalyst, some true reason where I connect the dots and I'm gonna do something else. So I wanna, the, the first thing is when I'm implementing new process and I'm thinking about my process map and hey, I'm introducing this new thing, right? Hey, I want this AI troubleshooting tool to be a part of our troubleshooting steps before we start bringing in the big guns show me evidence, show me evidence that we're deploying it, show me evidence that we're actually not only deploying it, but trying something, right? That we're trying to utilize it. Just as an example, throwing out there, 
So that's that's one thing. But the ultimate measurement is customer satisfaction. And in my world, right? We can try all the whiz bang things that we want. At the end of the day, if we're not moving the needle for the customer, what are we doing it for? I don't want to be too self-interested. Of course, we need to create efficiencies within the operation, but why am I creating efficiencies within the operation? It's because I want to be able to get more people faster to our customers. That's, that's our most constrained resources, time. You know, how do I get people out there to the customer sites? How do I get them taken care of? Not only in a way where we're communicating ever so effectively, but able to solve things quickly and at the first time. Uh, all the same natural things that everyone is looking to do. So I will always pull it back to that. I, I, I center around the customer because I, I want what we're doing to be impactful to the customer. Otherwise, it's just an exercise in flexing. You know, what are we doing this for? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to that adoption of new processes, I'm always looking for that evidence, depending on what it may be, you know, these may be different metrics, but show me the evidence that we are following the new process. So I like to bake that in to what we're doing. And so we'll, we'll establish a 30 or 60 and 90 day plan, depending on the total scope of the process change. And as a part of that, maybe we already have the capability of measuring something, maybe we don't, but we wanna see that there's at least a track record of yes, we've started to utilize this new thing. Yes, adoption is increasing. Yep, hey, we've, we've hit a stable point where we have X percentage of adoption and we're good to put that on cruise control and maybe that's no longer a critical KPI for us to measure in the short term. And we'll put that on kind of a touch point. Yeah. <clears throat> is your goal in utilization ever set at 100% or, or do you back off with expectations that y- you know you're going to have some percentage of the workforce that's just going to continue doing things their way? I, I come, I, I set the bar high uh, with the understanding that the, the actual performance is going to vary because we live in a dynamic world. Yeah. And uh, what I see is, so Right now, knowledge is really central to what we're doing. We recognize the value of knowledge and the, the value not only for our internal people, to, but to create self-service assets for our customers. One example. And this is something that we're trying to drive adoption for. Hey, if a tech support call comes in, we need to be able to solve that. If someone goes out into the field and there's a, and there's a challenge, we need to be able to document that down, make, make sure that everyone benefits from the learning of that particular exchange, whether it's phone in the field or otherwise. And the the adoption there is you experience the problem, you documented it and put it into the knowledge base, right? So uh, of course, 100%, I need 100%, but really we're shooting for 90 plus percent and we're, we're actually getting that, which is really truly fantastic. Yeah. That's really awesome. That's fantastic. That that is it, it is good that you hold a high bar. What what pains me when I hear stories from companies that have invested lots of money, oftentimes millions or tens of millions of dollars in technology, and they're getting utilization that is subpar, at least by my standards. Now, in some case, you could say, well, it's none of my business. It wasn't my money, and it's not my company, and that's true. Um, but I just feel like sometimes we have set the bar low, or we've allowed 
circumstances in the culture to kind of drive down expectations to say, mm. well, at least we got 60% of the people using it. But that was never a part of the business case when that project was originally defined, right? When that project's <laughs> charter was set out, there was some much higher expectation. Yes. And so I, I get frustrated for professionals I've been around where I feel like maybe their culture has, has allowed that bar to be set a little bit lower because they're so frustrated trying to get the utilization up. And this podcast has helped me and hopefully helped others understand that a big part of that is how we do facilitate uh, that change through, you know, a very deliberate and thoughtful change management process and communications and training and all the other things that come with that. And we should continue to set the bar as high as you are for your team. I think that's a, it's a big accomplishment. Absolutely. I, I mean, one thing that I see is there's so much effort put into, you know, you finally land the deal. Hey, we, we got this new thing. We, we got the new widget, right? Yep. We're going to deploy this thing. Oh, man, boom, we got it. And of course, all of your projections were you're maximizing it. You're hundred percent utilization. Everyone's taking advantage and, and enjoying yes. the efficiencies. But then when it comes to developing and executing the plan to make that piece of it a reality, that's where I think many companies are challenged because they, they, they didn't quite get there. They, they got to the red zone, but they weren't quite able to get the football across into the, into the end zone because they didn't have that last piece of the puzzle, which is creating that process of change management to show the evidence that it is being utilized and then thinking through, all right, if they don't utilize, what am I going to do? Yep. You have to, you have to think about that. You can't just assume and you, that you're just going to put up a metric and adoption is going to come or do nothing and adoption is going to come. You have to think, have the thought exercise of, okay, well, what, what's my approach if adoption is limited? Yeah. You know, as a natural born optimist, what you just said is actually really important and profound and something I've probably overlooked. And I bet others have overlooked it as well. And that is to just contemplate for a minute, what if this doesn't go well? And that's something I'm not terribly good at. I'll admit it. And, and I, I don't know that I'm an exception uh, or not, but I know when we're going through those project charters, as I was talking about before, there is a heavy emphasis on an assumption that these things will work and we tackle the things that we think are going to get in the way of that. But rarely have I heard a team come back and say, well, what if it doesn't? what are we going to do then? And I think that's a, a really profound and important point that you've made uh, that I would definitely think of as a best practice to just say, what are some of the things that we can anticipate that might go awry here and, uh, and really think about how we would handle that. I think that's yeah. a really awesome point. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the pre-mortem exercise, right? Yeah. This thing dies. You yeah. know, we're projecting six months ahead. It's dead. Yeah. Why? What happened? Yeah. Should I just get how my resume tuned up? <laughs> Right. Exactly. <laughs> and maybe that's the natural conclusion is you're like, Hey, this is, yeah, I think I do need to get my resume tuned up. Here we yeah, go. <laughs> exactly. And Hey, at least you uncovered that insight. Yeah. Well, hopefully through this conversation, we'll have uh, cut some people off at the past and given them another option than fixing their resume and uh, maybe just thinking about that question. So we, we are coming up to the end of our time. I've got one last question for you in, in the spirit of innovating on the front lines, what is the contribution that you've made throughout your career that you're most proud of? Oh, wow. Contribution I've made throughout my career that I'm most proud of. Well, it's got to be developing the relationships of all the customers, all the men and women that are on the, on the front line that I've been able to work with as peers and now have the, the, 
distinguished privilege of leading today. I mean, just absolutely fantastic people. At the end of the day, it's a people business, no matter what you're involved yeah. in. Uh, if there's not people involved, I'm curious how you're making money, right? How are you doing that? But uh, it's, it's the relationships, 100%. That's the, the fact that uh, some of these really exceedingly bright people will even give me the time of day to say hi. Wow, how fantastic is that? I mean, we've got some serious problem solvers out there. Yeah. And it, it's really been my pleasure to be able to interact with them. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, it's been a great conversation today. I really appreciate you, you carving the time out. Uh, you and I just got to know each other a few weeks back and, uh, really looking forward to continuing, uh, you and I are going to be particip participating in field service Palm Springs coming up, yeah. depending on when the audience is listening to this, they may be listening to it after the event, but, uh, around April 25th or 26th, you and I are going to be out in Palm Springs, um, networking with other professionals in, in the service industry and, uh, really looking forward to meeting you in person and, uh, meeting the rest of the folks out there. I'm going to see you in Palm Springs. Can't wait to do it. So I do need to wrap it up there uh, for our audience. Thank you again for spending some time with us today to hear uh, another great guest on Frontline Innovators. I'm going to ask for something a little bit different today. I'm, I'm normally asking for five-star ratings uh, on your podcast players, but the truth is most of our audience is spending time on LinkedIn. And what would be a huge favor to me and this, uh, our guests and to the show overall would be to actually share the podcast on LinkedIn. When you share that, it gets shared with your network to other professionals um, that probably have similar backgrounds and similar interests. And we'd love for you to share the show with them. So if you can do that, you can take any one of the links from Frontline Innovators podcast and share that on LinkedIn. And we'd really appreciate that. Um, again, as a reminder, the podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skyllful.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and make an introduction. We'd love to get them on the show and uh, see you on our next episode. Dre, thanks again for your time today. 